Rusty Quill presents. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is entry 3126, titled, Don't Look Out. Written and submitted to the exchange from a member going by the name Beardify. Recorded by Cole Weavers. For me, the most basic human trait isn't cooperation, tribalism, or even using tools. It's fear. Like you, I lock my doors at night to keep that darkness at bay. But when I do, I I never, ever look outside. If you peer through the windows of your house or the peephole of your apartment after dark, and I'm not suggesting that you do, you'll notice a few things right away. The first is stillness, if you're lucky. After all, there's no reason why someone or something should happen to be standing on your doorstep waiting for you to look outside, waiting to sneer at you through that thin barrier before they come crashing into your home to do what they wish to you and the people you love. You won't notice anything like that. Probably. If you're lucky. What you will notice, however, are shadows. It doesn't matter whether you're looking out at a carpeted hotel corridor, freshly trimmed green lawn, or the ugly welcome mat of your neighbor across the hallway, there will always be shadows. And most of the time they behave themselves. A shift in the shadows, or a shadow where one shouldn't be. That's the first sign that something is wrong. But most people aren't paying enough attention to realize what's changed. And I guess that's perfectly understandable. Maybe you're still frustrated by an argument at work, or exhausted from trying to bathe a fussy baby. Given what we all go through every day, why would you notice that the long black shadows of the tree in your yard are stretching toward the dying sunset instead of away from it? Why would you think that the dark shape flickering above the elevator is anything other than a helpless moth trapped inside a wall lamp? No. After your quick peek outside, you probably feel safe. Content. There are no unknown horrors on your porch. No insanely grinning figures are creeping down your hallway, tiptoeing with impossible exaggerated strides. There are no threats beyond your window. The chain lock, 
or the people. None that you're aware of, anyway. If you're lucky, there will be other, more pronounced signs that a change is taking place. And if you're not, well, the shadows might be the only warning you get. I was one of the lucky ones. I had so many subtle hints that something wasn't right, but like most people, I didn't pay attention until it was too late. I was 22 that summer, and I just moved in with my friends Juan, Paul, and Cassandra. The house was a grade two-story rental on a floodplain beneath the railroad tracks. It was nothing special, but it was walking distance from our college, and we could afford the rent. As often happens with new roommates, it did take us a while to get used to each other's quirks. Paul had an irritating habit of leaving half-empty mugs and cups all over the house. And then there was Juan, an early riser who completed his morning workout to pounding techno music. And, listen, I'm sure I had more than my fair share of personality flaws as well. The only thing annoying about Cassandra, however, seemed to be just how superstitious she was. She avoided ladders and black cats like the plague, and every time she spilled salt, she'd toss a pinch of it over her shoulder. It was a windy night at the end of August. Juan was on a date with a girl from our statistics class. Paul had gone to some fundraiser for his fraternity, and Casey and I had been left alone in the house. She was studying something at the kitchen table, her frizzy auburn hair hanging over her face. I had just come downstairs for a late-night snack. The wind might not have been all that severe, but in our rattling, tin-roofed rental house, it seemed it. So, before I went to bed, I at least wanted to see how bad it was outside. What are you doing? Cassandra stopped fiddling with her pen and looked up suddenly. Uh, checking outside? I'm about to lock the door and go to bed. Well, do one or the other, not both. At first, I thought I'd miss something. Then, with my hand on the door, I got a sinking feeling. This was probably another one of Casey's stupid superstitions. Okay, why shouldn't I do both? I finally sighed. It's just something my grandmother said. She used to say that there are wicked things out there in the dark, searching for a pair of eyes to let them in. There was a long pause. Look, I know it sounds stupid, okay? Just please do it for me. It did sound stupid, and I had this sudden urge to check on my car, which was parked beneath the half-dead sycamore across the street. I figured Casey would hear if I opened the door, but a quick peek out the long side window while I turned the key in the lock couldn't hurt, right? Well, it was a weird night. The trees swayed from side to side like they were performing some kind of macabre dance. Below them, plastic bags and newspapers blew by on the uneven sidewalk. The ordinarily comforting glow of the streetlight suddenly looked orangish, flickering, and wrong. But at least no branches had fallen on my car. I smirked, said goodnight to Casey, and went upstairs to bed. Maybe it's just my contradictory nature. But after Casey more or less forbade us from looking outside when we locked the door, I started finding more and more excuses to do so. I had to check for a package. I left a drink on the porch. I wasn't sure if I'd left the outdoor lights on or not. They all came down to the same thing, trying to figure out just what it was about that evening ritual, so familiar to everyone I knew that 
had Casey so spooked. Juan's theory was that the grandmother's story was made up. Maybe Casey had been attacked while checking outside her door. And then Paul, who wasn't exactly a sensitive soul, assumed that she had some kind of mental disorder. I don't care how crazy she is, he sneered one night while Casey was out. Just as long as she pays her share of the rent on time. The problem was that Casey seemed less and less crazy to me with each passing day. When I'd check for deliveries before locking the door, I'd get an awful feeling that someone was watching me from the gloom beyond the trees across the street. I'd notice it again, the way the streetlights would seem dim and change color, the way their shadows would reach out for me like long skeletal fingers. The hair on the back of my neck would suddenly stand up, but I was sure that there was no one there. Just uneven sidewalks, dewy grass, dark silent houses, and those somehow malevolent shadows that seemed to tilt the wrong way. It eventually got to the point that I didn't dare look up from the welcome mat when I checked for packages. I was too terrified of who, or what, I might find suddenly standing in front of me. I know I should have talked to Casey about what I was experiencing, but part of me was still convinced that I had freaked myself out over nothing. And another part, the stubborn part, just didn't want to admit that she had been right. As it turned out, Casey was visiting a friend in another state when the danger began to deepen. And once again, I was alone in the house. I just turned the key when I heard a loud thump against the door. I reversed the lock, pulled open the handle, and saw a dead bird lying on the welcome mat. What the... I was about to bend down and inspect it. Maybe even pick it up. When I saw the figure in the corner of the porch. Even now, I couldn't say for sure whether it was a person, a monster, or just a trick of the light. Whatever it was, it was bulky, dark, and over six feet tall. I remember something that could have been leathery wings or maybe just a black trench coat, scarred, bloated skin like a drowning victim's, round, hungry, horrible, human eyes. I screamed and ran back inside, but no monstrous hand reached through the doorway after me. The neighbor's pit bull barked. A light flashed on the house across the street, but otherwise the night was silent. There was no sign of whatever I'd seen out there. I turned the key in the lock with a shaking hand and hauled myself upstairs. I didn't dare to look out the window a second time. I'd barely reached my bedroom when a massive slam sent the front door flying open. Heavy footsteps creaked across the floor down below. A hand bashed into the wall, feeling for something, maybe the light switch. And I froze, too scared to breathe, and heard... Giggling? It was Juan and his girlfriend Adriana drunk and trying to find their way to his bedroom. He shushed her, warning her that his roommate was asleep, but that only made her giggle harder. I let out a sigh of relief and climbed into bed. The next morning, Juan made breakfast for the three of us. My fears felt foolish in the bright morning light. But something was different about Juan. He watched me out of the corner of my eyes I ate, like there was something he wanted to tell me. When Adriana finally scurried off to the bathroom, he leaned over and asked in a low voice if I knew the big guy who'd been standing on our porch the night before. Later, in my bedroom, I noticed a pair of massive, greasy handprints on my window. That night, 
I did the opposite of what I should have. After sunset, I left the porch light on, obsessively peering out the long, narrow window beside the door each time I passed. Nothing. Nothing, and more nothing. A distant rumble of thunder announced the arrival of a late summer storm. Paul was upstairs catching up on chemistry home where Quan was taking a shower. As the rain began to fall, I felt very, very alone. I hadn't told the others about what I was going through. I'd mentioned something about a suspicious character who I'd seen hanging around the house but left it at that. The truth was, I would have taken any explanation, a stalker, a prank, or even that I was going crazy rather than believe that any of it was really happening. I checked out the narrow door side window yet again. It was hard to see in the dark and rain. Dark? Rain? But I had left the porch light on. A huge, horrible eye blinked back at me. The face it belonged to was large enough to take up the entire window, blocking out the light. I fell backwards with a shriek. Running footsteps, Juan naked except for a towel wrapped around his waist, Paul, pale and irritated that I'd broken his concentration. I, I stammered something about some guy on the porch, but of course, there was no one there when Juan opened the door, one fist around his tiny towel, the other one up in the air like he was ready to fight the devil with it. Oh, just my luck to move in with a bunch of nutcases, Paul muttered under his breath and stomped back up to his room. Juan shot me a worried look, then closed the door and locked it. Still shaking, I went back to my room and sat in the dark. My fist white knuckle tight around the baseball bat that was the closest thing to a weapon that I owned. I thought seriously about trying to buy a gun, but background checks in my state take at least 48 hours and I wasn't sure that I had that long. And what about Casey? I should have thought of that before. She was the one who had mentioned the weird superstition in the first place. Maybe she could have some idea what was going on. I pulled out my phone and gave her a call. And then another. She didn't pick up. I wasn't surprised. She was probably enjoying a night out with a friend she was visiting. Outside, the rain fell harder, crashing in torrents against our rental's tin roof. In other circumstances, it might have been a soothing sound, but not being able to hear what was going on in the rest of the house was making me nervous. With my hands still wrapped around my baseball bat, I lay down on my bed and waited for what would come next. The buzz of my phone jarred me from sleep so roughly that I nearly hit myself in the face with my own makeshift weapon. Casey. I picked up right away. Hey, you called? Rumbling. Voices. Announcements over an intercom. She was in public transit somewhere, and her voice sounded like it was echoing down a tunnel. I don't think she understood my incoherent explanation of the strange events around our house, but she could hear the fear in my voice. For a long moment, I heard nothing but background noise. I'm sorry, Casey said, like a doctor giving a terminal diagnosis. If it's gotten that far, then it's already too late. Downstairs, the doorbell rang. I double-checked my phone screen. It was after 3 a.m., no one should have been visiting that late, and yet, sounds of movement. Juan. He was actually going to answer it. I gotta go, I told Casey. But it was already too late. Adriana? Juan muttered downstairs. What are you doing here? 
I couldn't see what was happening, but I could imagine it. Juan half asleep, a dark shape that looked like his rain-drenched girlfriend shivering on our porch, lit only from behind by street lights. He opened the door just as I shouted out a warning, and then two heartbeats later it swung shut on its own. We never saw him again. Cassandra didn't come back to the house after that either. Her scanty second-hand possessions were worth next to nothing and gave us no clue of who she'd been or where she'd come from. The college refused to help with our search. Her information was private, they said. If there were no signs of foul play, she would simply be filed away with all the other countless students who had suddenly dropped out with no notification for reasons of their own. The local police, meanwhile, acted completely unconcerned about Juan's disappearance. During the smoke break they took on our porch, I overheard them joking about how my med student roommate had probably just been deported. I moved out too, of course. I cared more about avoiding the next horror that might happen in that house than I did about breaking a lease, and I crashed on couches until I found a free room. Then there was Paul. He continued living in the rental, muttering about broken promises and new age crazies. Eventually he got new roommates, and to the best of my knowledge, none of them ever looked out the window before locking the door. Since then, neither have I. There have been a few close calls. Sudden sounds that come from just outside my door, almost shocking enough to make me press my eye to the peephole. Other nights, bell will ring the moment I slide the key into the lock like something out there is teasing me. The worst, though, are the voices. Juan's. An elderly woman I can only assume was Casey's grandmother. Voices that call my name sweetly from the dark. Asking me if anyone's home. Tiny Terrors is an anthology horror podcast produced by Pulp Audio and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. This episode was directed by Cole Weavers, with sound production and editing by Mike Lebeau. To find additional information or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website, www.tinyterrorspod.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tiny Terrors Pod. Or join the Pulp Audio Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Rate and review us on Spotify and Apple. And finally, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.